Welcome to Look Behind the Look, the celebrated podcast that explores your favorite looks in film, television, and fashion history. Through conversations with the fashion world's elite and award-winning hair, makeup, and costume designers on sets around the world, you will see and hear exciting tales from behind the scenes, career origin stories, and tons of advice and tips. I'm your host, Tiffany Bartok. Have you seen the latest film from Yorgos Lanthimos? I have. It is Poor Things. I saw it a while ago and now finally got the chance to tie Nadia Stacy down, who is responsible for the hair and makeup in the film. She's the hair and makeup designer that is probably best known to you because of her work in Cruella. She's a BAFTA winner and an Oscar nominee. She's incredible and somehow made Willem Dafoe's prosthetic makeup beautiful in a strange, amazing way. So this is what we're going to be talking about. And we're going to be talking about Emma's eyebrows and jet black hair and all things poor things. I know you love the movie. I know you ran to see it because the visuals are so gorgeous. And I want to hear what you think. So hit me up. I look forward to you listening to this conversation between Nadia and I, where she reveals some of her process and how she made this magic happen. Enjoy. This is Bella. Bye, bye. Bella, this is Mr. McCandles. Hello, Bella. No! She's an experiment. Good evening. Her brain and her body are not quite synchronized. But she is progressing at an accelerated pace. Tell me, where did she come from? I shall. For it is a happy tale. Hi, Nadia. I'm here with Nadia Stacy, and um, we are here again. We last time we were here talking about Cruella, and this time we're talking about poor things, which of course I've seen and is just delightful. And I, I it's another Yorgos collab for you. So I just want to talk about when he first told you about this idea of poor things. Um, I think it was about three years ago now, something like that. I got an email from him and Emma, a joint email to say, we're doing our next film and would you, we'd love you to come and join us. Um, And it's called Poor Things. And I had the book. Um, so I just sent back a picture of me holding the book with a thumbs up. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. I love that. Is that I, I haven't read the book. Is it as beautiful? How are, are the book and the movie different at, if they are at all? Yeah, they are. There's a lot more in the book, but the general kind of, you know, the basis of, of, of what you see in the film is, is, is the same. It's just kind of, yeah, a m- much more. more of each. Yeah. Yeah. Path. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, I was curious about that because you could. There's so many roads to go down. We can go down Willem Dafoe's. You know, we could go make a whole movie out of that. And you know, it was it was it was so beautiful. I I I wonder how you decided to approach the. Let's start with Willem. Will, so you and Emma, of course, you worked on The Favourite together and you've worked with your ghosts for all of his films. Is, am I correct? Okay. And then this one. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. But The Favourite's my, my favourite, of course. I mean, I'm not alone there, as we know. Um, it's an extraordinary film and your work is incredible in it. 
the Badger Eye. Everybody knows you from this, and you're an amazing um, Oscar. It, all the awards, all the awards for Nadia. Um, I I can't imagine taking on this Willem Dafoe character because you had to have a story for every scar, I assume. So how did you begin to approach it? Um, I mean, everything always comes with the, from the script, of course. And, you know, what we learn about Willem's character, Baxter, is through him talking about his father and that his father before him was also a surgeon and an experimental and eccentric surgeon and that he operated on him. And so we learn a few things from him, but then that's really left him up to interpretation as to what else might he have done to him. So there was that to start us off. There's also moments in the film when people talk about his his face someone said he looks like a burnt dog there's a woman in the street that's shocked by him he says he can't go out very much because of what he looks like so you know that it needs to be shocking you know that it needs to be noticeable but there was a big thing for me that excuse me there was a big thing for me that I felt like he needed to be um we needed to see him there needed to be a man behind that. She loves him and, and you know, there's a there's a love story there and um this kind of fatherly fatherly figure to her. And and actually he Baxter ends up being kind of one of the the better guys in in this yeah. film, you know. Um and just if you've got someone like Willem Dafoe with that incredible face, why would you completely cover that? You know? Yeah. And it was the first time Yorgos had used prosthetics to that extent as well. So that was kind of, it was a big move for him to do that. Really? To have something, yeah, that would work with the character. So we had this Francis Bacon painting and mm. you see the man, but it's a distorted face. And that kind of became quite a marker of what the way we wanted to go with it, that there needed to be something off, there needed to be something wrong, but that it couldn't be too monstrous. I also think yeah. that really distracting when you've got something that strong makeup wise in a film, I feel like you keep looking at that and actually with Baxi you get used to his face and see him as, as, as the character. Um, so then we just started to kind of plot out what might've happened to him. Um, his ears been taken off. The head's been opened up at some point. Um, where each scar has come from. And each scar needed to be very straight and kind of almost perfect because his father is a good surgeon. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. it, you know, done really well. So that's kind of how it came about. But we went through lots and lots of different artwork and lots of different ideas to get to where we got to. And I actually went to Shona Heath, our production designer's um, studio, and we got gathered all the artwork together. And then we kind of, cut it up almost like Baxter's face would be and put an eye and an ear there. And what if we had a scar here oh. and we had it together almost like a, like a kind of photo fit picture. And um, yeah. And, and, and Baxter was, Baxter was born. And how, how much did Willem partake in this collaboration with you guys for Baxter? I had an initial, um, zoom with him um in the right in the beginning and we kind of talked about all these things we talked about who he was who what his father might have done to him um 
we talked at one point whether there was sort of any scope to do something with kind of animal kind of elements because we have these oh, hybrid right so we went through lots and lots of different sort of variables um and he was very involved but then he really kind of let us run with the process because i think baxter could be so many different things there's yeah. no kind of to it. it just is what it who he is so um yeah he was very involved but then also kind of very happy to let us do our thing and um Mark Coulier, who's the um, another prosthetic prosthetic designer who I work with a lot, and Josh and Robin, who applied the prosthetics, were just all you know all very kind of um, involved right from the beginning, really. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you were overseeing makeup, hair, and prosthetics in this. No, no yeah. easy deal. <laughs> no. I I was talking with my friend about um, the differences between, uh, you know. English and American um, designers. Why? Why is it more? Is it about the union that there's a makeup and hair designer, and then here it might be separate? What is that? Um, you know, it seems to be that that the the European films are all makeup and hair designers. So, so how does that work? How does that work just for people who are getting into the business end of things? Yeah, I think it's a union situation. That's right. why union, it right? yeah um but here it always has been that um it, you you train in hair and makeup and prosthetics um and you oversee all of it if you get a film with huge prosthetics it tends to be a separate department and Got i would it. always like mark um because that's their speciality that you know but um for us yeah we always you know i always design the hair and the makeup across the board and i for me it would be really difficult to yeah. choose because I feel like it's you know we're creating a character and so that is a whole person to me so it would be really difficult for me to pass on to send them to hair or to send them to makeup whichever way around it would be I kind of want to see the whole thing come together in sure so, I, yeah the two are always very cohesive especially in your work with Corella and like you know and I, we were talking about um Emma's storytelling through her hair and the length of it and and what were the challenges of that and how did you sort of decide you were going to tell the story of her hair length and and all the, the yeah hair? um Bella we we again learn through Max when he's um taking notes on Bella that her hair grows at an accelerated rate right and so it kind of, you know, it grows with Bella over the course of the film. We see her as a baby and then we see her as a woman. And this hair kind of goes on that journey with her and grows as she grows. Um, and I feel like it's such a marker of who she is as well. It really kind of tells its own story. When we first meet her, um, her hair is tied into a plait because Miss Prim would do that for her. She's in controlled circumstances. She's an experiment um and so she would be being looked after and she's a baby essentially when she goes out into lisbon into the world and duncan takes her away this story <laughs> kind of adventure begins for her and i just think that moment when she walks out of the hotel in lisbon against all the colors and this vibrant world we see around her and then you see this just really long jet black hair it's just such a marker that Bella is 
very different in the world around her. She's kind of otherworldly, you know, that no one else looks like her. And it was really clear that we needed to do that. And it and it really shows that she doesn't shackle herself to society. She doesn't she doesn't know that it would be the proper thing to do to have your hair up and done properly like a lady. She wouldn't know that. No one's ever taught her that. So um it yeah, it really kind of tells its own story. And then I wanted to map out the length of the hair as she goes along and kind of so it changes length when she gets to Lisbon, changes when she goes to uh, the ship, changes when she goes to Paris, when we get to this, our longest length in Paris. And I did that with backfalls, which were attached to kind of micro braids under oh, wow. um, hair. Um because I'm not allowed to use wigs as ever with your goss. Oh, uh, that's right. That's right. <gasps> oh my yeah. God. I just got a, um, I just got an email saying no wigs. That's all it said. Oh. Um, <laughs> so um, yeah, I had to do it in a way that was. <laughs> we. And that's were... not budgetary. That's not budgetary. That's just his fear of it looking fake or. Yeah. He doesn't oh. like fake. So he doesn't actually like hair makeup prosthetic right like it's puting a layer onto someone and changing things so he likes to see imperfections he doesn't want you to cover anything up and it's right and it's definitely right for bella you know as we said she's a she's a baby and if for one second as good as we might be if you see wig lace or you see something that looks fake it's going to pull you away from you're going to forget you know, you, you, you're not going to believe in Bella. And so it's, it's right that she should, should look like that. And um, so, yeah, I kind of achieved it with different backfall lengths and changed them with every kind of place you went really. Wow. And so, so the eyebrows were, those are, those aren't real. Are they real? Her eyebrows? Oh my God. Emma, <laughs> how do you have that many eyebrows? <laughs> <laughs> Didn't touch them, just left them, left them to be. And, oh, she uh, must have gone insane. You must have loved this. That was amazing. I mean, oh, yeah. Wow. And then obviously, because I dyed them as dark as I dyed her hair, it, you know, against her skin, her complexion, they just look really, really strong. They're not actually, because they've, they've been a real kind of topic of conversation and, sure. and real, they're not kind of that crazy, but it's just that, the color against her skin tone, I think, is just kind of really, you know, noticeable. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, now, tell me, what was your favorite segment of the film? To, I mean, I, it, it must be impossible to pick a favorite, but and and I know Paris was was you know more of the brothel, so that must have been very exciting. But what what was your favorite section to work on? I can't. It all felt like small little movies within sure. a movie we went every time she went on an adventure because we sort of shot chronologically really because oh. we did Max's house and then we all moved to the Lisbon set and the sets were so incredible that yeah. you could actually walk around them so you could go into the Portuguese tart shop you could go into the oh hotel. my gosh you could walk past the river you could you know all within a film in a set so it, it was almost like going on these little kind of trips with her and each place brought something new for us. So the kind of look would be different in Lisbon and then the look would be different to the ship. And right. I really, I enjoyed Paris and the brothel because I had 
real scope to kind of play with the look of the girls in the brothel and they have some really interesting um makeups and some of those have kind of really small prosthetics um and so that you know there was there was lots of things and madam swiney was a favorite character to do so and bella experiments with makeup for the first time in paris so yeah paris i think was kind of yeah. great place and and tell me about Madame Swiney. Let's talk about her tattoos and and um, all of that. Because uh, another thing my friend and I were talking about was that that her tattoos. She knows she's going to be showing so much skin. So does she want these people to see the story on her skin? I was wondering. Or what what's the story with the tattoos and how were they chosen? Well, um, Catherine's just Catherine Hunter who plays Swiney is just oh, such amazing. amazing. She's incredible and her physicality and it's, it's just so interesting. Mm. And Carly Waddington, our costume designer and myself, chatted about what her look would be. And I knew that she was going to wear these turbans and we wouldn't see any hair. At all. And then the clothes were very kind of high collared and really covering this body. So they huge kind of costumes over this body. And we talked about whether we would ever see anything else like what's going on under that turban what kind of with, with this makeup wow. is she, what is she what's going on underneath all of this and there's a scene where she delivers the hot chocolate to Bella and and it's at night time and it's in her bedroom so it's a kind of private moment and that was the opportunity for us to see what's what's under what's under the clothes yeah and I had this picture of I think she's an Edwardian lady that I'd had oh my gosh probably I reckon I've had it about 15, 20 years. I just, it, I collected it from somewhere and I absolutely loved it. And this girl is covered from tattoos, with tattoos from the neck down to her wrist, to her ankles. And I just remember thinking, who, who is this that would have those tattoos in a right. time? Really strange thing to do. Um, and so I mentioned it to Orgas and thought it was quite a curveball choice, but he said, yeah, let's, let's do it um and let me and let me do it so then the plan started of what would these tattoos be and it's kind of you know like tattoos are they're a kind of they're a kind of map and a storytelling of people's lives and moments and you know kind of you know wanting to mark uh, an occasion on yourself and so um everything needed to be designed for swiney so there's french sailors tattoos there's I love Pierre on her arm. There's kind of nautical um, um, signs for all the sailors that have passed through there, through the brothel. Um, yeah, just kind of a story of her life. There's a big octopus across her back because of the way she moves. And there was lots oh, of wow. physicality as well. So there's like snakes and um, she's got sort of um, fish. She's got monkeys on her chest. There's, yeah, everything was why would Swiney have this? It needed yeah. to So even if it's just for a moment, it just tells a story. Wow. I I can't imagine the life she lived. I mean, I can't imagine it. Yeah. A <laughs> hundred lives, you know, and she's so, yeah, it was fun to sort of think what they might have been. How did that brothel not how did the tone of this movie, this isn't so much about makeup, but it is also because you, of course, played a part in the tone by far. But how did this film come across so light and not and joyful 
what is the secret to it coming across that way rather than like, you know, poor things, you know, <laughs> sad and depressing? Because I think Bella is a joy and we as an audience are discovering the world through Bella and we're discovering, and particularly as a woman, you're watching it, you're discovering a world that where you would have no shame, no rules, no, you know, society's not telling you to do anything. You can, you're starting from scratch and you can be however you want to be. It's like a child being brought out into these worlds and discovering mm -hmm. everything from champagne and Portuguese tarts to sex to, to everything. And it's like, you know, she's learning about life and it's, that is joyous. And we get to see it through this kind of un, uninhibited being. And it's, mm -hmm. it's kind of amazing. I mean, I totally fell in love with Bella I, I don't think I've ever been so attached to a character that I've wow. done and when we on the final night um I took the hair pieces out and then cut Emma's own hair and as her hair fell to the floor we cried because it was oh, like sure. really like we'll never we'll never have that again because we don't live in that world it was uh wow. so I think I think that's where the the joy is in in it yeah wow and that's probably that's what Duncan was so drawn to yeah yeah, yeah. oh I mean it's just like he would never have seen anything like this her before you know and the joy of you know everything he teaches her it's kind of you know I suppose it is like having a child around you and it was a child seeing things for the first time it would kind of remind you of you know oh yeah it's great well, I don't know right oh first time you know it's it's beautiful so yeah it's intoxicating I think for him absolutely and also the the ruin of him <laughs> oh my god I mean I when he yells Bella I never laugh so hard I <laughs> and don't we just wish we could all be like that to to a man who's just you're annoying like like what love it when they're in the um, hotel and she comes downstairs and she's like, you're, you're very strange and like just pats him on the back. And I thought, <laughs> it's like in the reverse of that when it's like, why are you bugging, why are you bugging me about like dating someone else? You know, I know, I know. Can't this just be a thing that I do? Yeah. Oh my gosh. And then let's talk about, um, let's talk about now oh my god please i am had enough haven't had enough coffee but where does she see the the despair in the world where are we we're not in paris we're not in lisbon now you go <laughs> oh i've totally got no. it I'll, I'll i'll fix this don't <laughs> worry um the the most saturated in color and she sees all the people dying and she cries andrea where's that andrea yes so when we see that color saturation, what did the what did the different settings do to your work? Like, did you you knew about them and you tested them first? Well, no. The biggest one was we we didn't know that the first part of the film was going to be in black and white. Right. No idea. So that was a surprise. Um. <laughs> <laughs> no wigs, and I'm not telling you how this is being projected. <laughs> Yeah, we don't. Yeah, we didn't know. I mean, luckily for me, that first part of the film in black and white, she has no makeup on her face whatsoever. Okay, she oh, has really wow. 
and she has black hair. So actually, in terms of me adapting for makeup for black and white was was much easier. The guys, however, had to adapt Baxter's prosthetic that we painted differently for black and white. So that need to be that needed to be adapted. Oh, okay. Um, just because differently particularly red or read really dark so if there's any kind of red skin tone it will it will come up much darker right of um, course yeah um so yeah mine wasn't it wasn't so difficult and actually the fact that her hair is jet black kind of I was going to say it kind of works with every set it's jarring in every set but it's meant it's meant to be so it kind of I didn't ever have to kind of worry whether it was going to work on with certain colors because it if it doesn't it shouldn't you know okay yeah that makes sense that makes sense so so she you dye what is her hair color no normally red she's no everyone thinks she is no, I know right I, I think of her as red blonde she's kind of yeah, yeah like, like yours yeah. yeah, yeah, she's not. Yeah. Okay, so you never had to lift the black. No. Okay, thank God. <laughs> Just um, yeah, she had it done when we first spoke about it. I was already in Budapest, and she was in America. And Tracy Cunningham is her hair oh, right. I'm gonna go and see Tracy and get my hair done, and then she FaceTimed me maybe and said, "Yeah, it's gone." quite dark and I was like okay what's quite dark because I said let's go dark but keep going up so that we can we've got scope and um yeah and it was pretty much I was like this is pretty much black by the time we got it and then actually it was because I can't imagine a world where Bella doesn't have black hair it does I think dark brown would have felt like we never quite pushed yes she needs to be it needs to be slightly odd. Yes, 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 yes. And it's just so beautiful against the fair skin and the, the poster art and all of the images. Um, it was amazing. And let's let's talk a little bit about, about um, I mean, I don't, at first glance, I feel like there's not a lot to talk about. So tell me that I'm wrong. Um, Mark Ruffalo has fabulous hair and it, there's a lot of it. And what did you really want to express with him? Um, there's actually quite a there's okay. actually quite a with with Duncan actually because when he first arrives he's this kind of very sure of himself like Lothario who right. you know very confident he obviously knows the finer things in life because as soon as he takes Bella to Lisbon he's ordering champagne Portuguese tarts he knows where to go where to take her you know there's the joke he's got a scent of a thousand women on him and they like so he's you know he's been very sure of himself um and so I felt like he was a very considered character. Right. And so his hair needed to be perfectly kind of coiffed and waved and his moustache would be very trimmed and perfect. And and then obviously he starts to unravel as, as he kind of falls in love with Bella um, and can't control her, he starts to lose control. And so that's kind of marked out in his journey in terms of his hair and his look that it just starts to unravel suddenly that beautiful perfect wave is suddenly kind of coming loose and coming getting yes. that just continues and by the time you know on the ship he's drinking a lot and gambling and kind of you know so his focus isn't his look and then when we get to Paris he's 
unshaven. He's given up. I mean, he's just sat on that bench with his head down and she's, he doesn't even realise she's got money in a coat and he's just totally <laughs> Um And by the time he's shouting at a window, you know, it's just a mess. And then we go to the um, asylum where he's really you know, lost it. I and mean, we, we, we did things to him. He got bruises on him and scratches on him and he's just kind of lost it. And then it comes, you know, a different journey when we see him at the wedding and he's hiding behind Alfie and there's like this sort of pathetic little child quality. Yes. Of him. Like it was him. He did it. And um, so his hair is really kind of um, taken over in this party and with lots of, grease in his hair so you I know, did like, notice that so yes yeah so <laughs> real journey again in kind of hair and makeup of the of the decline of this character yes it's a very different role for him too you know it was enjoyable to see him like that and I'm sure they had a lot of fun what was the fu- most fun that you guys all had on set we had a lot of fun on Friday well in the makeup trailer, we had margaritas, which was him making margaritas on a Friday night. Margaritas. That's cute. That's cute. Yes. Um, we had a lot of fun. <laughs> we, had, we went out a lot. We had lots of, yeah. We had. Where were you filming? Where were you filming? Budapest. Budapest. Um, we had a mariachi band for Emma's birthday one night. Calm. It was, yeah, we had, we had lots and lots of fun. And those guys are just really fun to be around mark's great willem's great willem's got lots of stories to tell you emma's just great so yeah it was good it was good good it was really really good cast yeah good and and then for the brothel did you have to have a you obviously had to have a story for each person that was in the brothel yeah and was there one that you you were really a story that you really were excited by I mean, I just really enjoyed doing the makeups and the hair on on the girls in the brothel. And it was, again, a chance to kind of do something that would be slightly different to society again. So we looked at Victorian shapes, but then kind of really kind of messed those up. And actually some of the makeups are a little bit more sort of 20s, smudgy, smoky eyes. And the makeups that we used in there, the makeup colours were... There was a real kind of thread going through the film in terms of colours from the beginning that um, Shona and James had used a lot of medical references back in Baxter's house in the beginning. Right. Kind of um, reds and pinks and purples of veins or blood or those kind of colours that were used. And I'd thought about the fact that women used sex workers back in the day, the, the origin of red lipstick was kind of to promote sex basically and right um I wanted to use those colors really strongly in within the women in there and so that's why Swiney has a really kind of impactful makeup as soon as you see her yes Bella uses makeup for the first time because she's working there it's not just for society again it's because she's using it as a tool so um yeah, it was just fun to do and that some of the women had some really fun makeups and hair and prosthetic nipple covers. <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> yeah, it was good. <laughs> I mean, you can tell when she the way she does her makeup, it's very logical even then. It's just like 
they do this, they do this, this works, the book, you know what I mean? It's very logical and and it I makes sense. I feel like I'm just going to have a sort of career out of, I, rem- I remember after the favorite and people asking me about the badge makeup and I was like, oh, it took maybe like five minutes. Just I remember you saying. Like, I've done this again on this. And like there was time when- <laughs> again on this it's like Bella would just borrow a lipstick off someone or an eyeshadow off someone or you know she would she would put it on and again it's not long ago that she was a child mm-hmm. <laughs> it's you know so it's done in a kind of naive playing with things but it's you know yeah well um, you really I mean you make it sound like I didn't you know it was effortless but you are so invested with each of your characters and you've taken so long with them to really you know, come up with where they're coming from and where they're going. And so it it might seem effortless, but not no other person would think of these things. So, you know. No, I, I, yeah, I'm, I, I've always thought of myself as rather than a makeup artist, like as part, as a storyteller and as yeah. part of thing. So it's, it's about the character and why and, you know, nothing goes yeah. on unless why would they have done that or where did they get that makeup from or exactly yes that's that's why you are the best at what you do (laughs) are you um so are you on a film right now can you tell us what it is is it is it i know you're doing snow white we we know you're doing snow white but that's done right no we've got five more days to do but we were in the middle of the five days when the strikes happened so we had to just stop no and now past availability means that we're still waiting to do the five days. So I don't know when it will be. So the film release date has been pushed. Uh, yeah, I don't know when we'll ever finish it. But um, yeah, that's still to be finished. Oh, and then Lord. I've just done a film called Stuntman, which is by um, the company Marv, who make things like Kingsman and Kick-Ass, okay. you know, Rocketman and those kinds of things. Um and it's a really, really fun take of the industry and Sam Rockwell, Chris Hemsworth, Matt Damon all play kind of parodies of themselves around this world of stuntmen. We have had the most fun. That it sounds has, like a blast. It has been so much fun. Yeah, it's like a film inside a film. So we've had to, we've been really had lots of scope to do kind of silly characters. And yeah, it was really, really fun. I uh, love that. And I'm coming to New York to do a film. Um, so I'm going to be in New York for most most part of next year. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Well, you'll have to you'll have to ask me where I, I will come and meet you and show you a good time for sure <laughs> on any days off that you have. And it, I we're getting a Cruella too, aren't we? I mean, I mean, that's the, one day, one day. That's the goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's all going to happen. It's just kind of when and, you know, fitting it around. And um, but yeah, I think that's that's the plan. Yeah. Good, good, good. Oh, well, Nadia, it was so wonderful talking to you as always. And I will be talking to you about your next probably. Well, we'll see what it is, but I'll have you. (laughs) We'll see one of these many projects that you're working on. I will be talking to you about them next. Anytime. It was great to speak to you. Look Behind the Look is a Vinyl Foot production, written by me, your host, Tiffany Bartok, produced by Jace Bartok, edited by Evan Rivard. If you're interested in learning more, find our video version on the YouTube channel, Look Behind the Look Podcast. 
There you can see rare photos and clips from our guests. And please follow us on Twitter at LookBehindPod and Instagram at LookBehindTheLook. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe. And tell your friends and spread the word. You can subscribe to us on iTunes or any podcatcher of your choice. Thanks for listening to Look Behind the Look.